Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. From the Masson Web Studio, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano, back with you. Thanks for tuning in on the Masson All Access Facebook page or the Masson Nationals Facebook page or Masson Nationals on Twitter. At Bobby underscore Blanco for myself, at Paul Mancano for Paul on Twitter. Tweet at us throughout the show. You can also comment along on Facebook. Uh, we love to see you use your comments as we go along. Uh, if you're not watching us live, hopefully you're tuning in, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Uh, you could also watch on the Madison Nationals YouTube account after the fact as well. Um, if you're having trouble, oh, of course, and also, of course, we're brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. Um, if you're having trouble following along with your New Year's resolution through the first week of the year, I would look to Mike Rizzo for inspiration, for uh, motivation, because he seems to have no problem following his new resolution and making sure that this Nationals team is ready not only to defend their title, but to compete for another one, revamping the roster, making a flurry of roster moves to start the new year. And Paul, within the last week, we saw an addition of five players, some old, some familiar faces, some new faces. Um, and it's, it's been nothing short of a lot. Yeah, what, five, six moves since we finished our last podcast, which was just a week ago. After every show we do, there seems to be news. I think immediately following our podcast, they signed Will Harris. Yep. And then the next day, they signed Starlin Castro. Yep. And then the next day, they signed Azdrubal Cabrera. Yep. Then they took like a day off or two days off for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And then they signed Daniel Hudson, Eric Thames. So a ridiculous week. I Honestly, I think that uh, Mike Rizzo had a meeting with Mark Lerner on January 1st, first of the year, Mark said, here's the amount of money you can spend. Mike said, thank you very much. Here's what I'm going to give out yep. to everybody. Yeah, and and to, to his credit, he's being very financially responsible and fruitful with it, just kind of dishing it a little bit here, a little bit there, adding to the bullpen, um, re-adding to the bullpen, you know, and bringing Daniel Hudson back, um, and then adding to the infield with uh, with Cabrera, Thames, and Castro. Um yeah, it's it's he's kind of piecing this together without making a big splash and without also I mean we know the story behind they don't want to go above the luxury tax again this year so he's trying to be fiscally responsible there but also you know he wants to keep this team open for other moves as we get deeper into the offseason closer to spring training starting and then also be also able to you know, maybe welcome players with high contracts come the trade deadline. So he's keeping every this team's interest in mind while moving forward and making these uh, signings while also, you know, appeasing to the owner and their wishes and how the money is being spent. And, of course, the biggest splash that they made, they already made at the winter meetings. You know, they already right. handed Steven Strasburg $245 million, but they learned from last year that it's it's not about getting the top guy on the market. It's about making having the deepest, best team. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of these moves show that they are reinvesting in veterans. They saw that uh, strategy pay out for them in October last year. All the veterans came up big in an October um, in their postseason run. But that being said, a lot of these guys, with them being 30 years or older, Thames is 33, Hudson's 32, Cabrera's 34, Starlin Castro's 30, Will Harris is 35. 
So all of the guys that they've signed in the past week and a half are 30 years or older. And I think it, it begs the question of, you know, they clearly don't think that all those veterans last year staying healthy and getting through the season and being productive was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. But with the way that baseball has trended going to younger guys, is this a sustainable model? And that's something I think uh, these moves ask that question. Yeah, they're going to find out probably short enough. And, and was once you start pitchers and catchers reporting in February, whether this is the right model. And it's and especially towards the Will Harris signing. It's something that we haven't really seen in terms of the longevity of the contract and how much money, $24 million over three years to a guy who's 35. A, a very old, This is something Mike Rizzo doesn't usually do. Especially for relief pitchers. Right, and that was kind of surprising in and of itself, but you're getting a guy who has been one of the most consistent relievers over the past five years. Obviously, they remember him from the World Series when he was with the Astros, um, and it, he seems to, they must know something more than we do, um, that he seems worth the investment for the over the next three years. You know, I would say if you get two solid years of what he's been over the past five, that's good enough. Because especially considering where this bullpen has been over the past handful of years, the Nationals are probably entering this season with their strongest bullpen that they've ever entered a season with in the last decade. Yeah, I mean, it, this is the biggest acquisition that they've made to their bullpen via free agency. Under Mike Rizzo? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, most of their big deals obviously have come midseason via trade. The, the massive uh, Ryan Madsen, Sean Doolittle uh, trades of a few years ago, the, even the Jonathan Papelbon deal a few years ago, Mark Melanson. So this is the first time we've seen them out of the gate. They want to go into spring training with several guys in the bullpen that they can rely on. Uh, 35 is quite quite advanced yeah. to give a guy a three-year, $24 million deal. But he's been maybe the best setup man in baseball, or at least one of the top three setup men in baseball over the past several years. I think it's, it's another question of guys seem to pitch better in Houston for whatever reason, they, and, and you know, not like it's a mystery. They have one of the best um, coaching staffs. They have one of the best analytics teams in baseball. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys go to other teams and regress, but the Nationals aren't necessarily that team because they also have a strong coaching staff. They also have a very strong analytics department. Um, but yeah, they're banking on maybe not a one five zero ERA like um, Will Harris had last year, but something in the range of what he had in 2017, a, a ERA just a tick um, lower than three, mm-hmm. I think is is already a massive upgrade over anything that they had last year. Absolutely. Yeah, and and talking about Will Harris in particular, you know, this is also a guy that can get both righties and lefties out. He actually yeah. has reverse splits. He does better um, against lefties than righties. Maybe that's also a kind of a, um, a numbers, you know, a, a sample size factor because he's probably not facing lefties too much. But he does well. He's keeping them both under a two thirty average. Uh, lefties two thirteen, which is pretty impressive. So he's a utility guy that you and and also with the the new rule changes upcoming season, you know, the three bat batter minimum for pitchers, um, it kind of negates the need for a lefty specialist. I would think maybe the one critique fans might have of uh, this bullpen, the way it's structured right now, is a lack of lefties. Your only lefties are Doolittle and uh, Elias Roanis. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, um, and the rest are right-handers, and that's kind of a problem, but that might not be a factor this season because of the three batter minimum. And then you get a guy like Will Harris who can get lefties and righties out. So he's a guy who's trustworthy that you can get him no matter where the order of the lineup, the opposing lineup is, you can throw him in uh, in a crucial inning and expect to get three outs. And 
even though he is advanced in years, he has been very healthy over the past five yeah, seasons. Yeah, durable. Yeah. Um, that 2017 season, he had a four, 46 appearances. But other than that, since 2015, he has had at least 61 appear, uh, games, appearances, mm-hmm. um, over the last five years. So um, he has been incredibly durable, and they massively need that. So I think pretty much even if you don't get the one five zero ERA, even if you get something even closer to four, it's still an upgrade over what they had last year. Amazingly. Well, yeah. His, his career number is two eighty four, And that's something if you, that's uh, let's call that his average, basically his average. So yep. let's just, if he's around that number, like you said, below three, you'll take that every day and twice on Sunday, yeah. especially considering where this bullpen is from. Right. Um, let's go on to the Hudson because they also bring back the guy, the world series hero. He was terrific down the stretch. Uh, for the Nationals after coming over from Toronto. Played a huge factor in the postseason, of course. Recorded the last out in Houston in Game 7 to get the World Series championship. This is a guy who, in some ways, is kind of the opposite of Will Harris in that he has struggled with injuries in his past history. He's not as consistent. He, I don't think he's as good against righties and lefties as, as Will Harris is in terms of his splits. But, you know, he was a guy that proved his worth in the short amount of time he was with the Nationals in 2019, he he deserved um, maybe a, another another go around a comeback. You know, obviously fans loved him for what he did in the postseason. Um, you know, I think he earned his way back and, and this 11 million dollars over two years um, that sometimes as some people thought were was a little bit too much. It would seem like the Nationals once they signed Will Harris were hesitant to give that much to Daniel Hudson, but then they were able, they, they decided to, all right, we, we can spend this much and shore up this back end of the bullpen and basically have a three-headed monster. Right, and if they don't, if, if it is true that they don't want to go into the luxury tax, looks like they are content with spending as much as they can to get right up to it. Yeah. Similar to what they did last year, um, but just not going over that threshold, um, if that is truly a barrier for the ownership. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because we thought that we had a resolution as, as to whether Hudson, you know, the question was, is Hudson going to be brought back? Um, because th- does the front office think that Hudson, that last year was an anomaly and, you know, his career numbers are a lot worse than last year. His career numbers are at 3.83 ERA, so almost a, a, an entire run higher than Will Harris. So did the front office think that he was, that that one four four ERA with the Nats down the stretch was repeatable? Did they mm-hmm. think it was an anomaly? And we, when they signed Will Harris, we thought, okay, they don't want to bring Hudson back. They understand that that last year probably doesn't make sense with the larger trend. But then they brought him back anyway. Right. So, I mean, that that um, kind of was an interesting quick turn within a matter of a couple days. Well, maybe it's the addition of Harris that makes bringing back Daniel Hudson a little more reasonable because yeah. that might – he, by himself, also coupled with a healthy Sean Doolittle in 2020 – might take some pressure off Daniel Hudson. He won't be required to pitch as many innings as he might have been asked to do in the past, in his past stops, maybe in Toronto, and take the load off of him. Obviously, in the postseason, it's all hands on deck. You, you need it, You need everyone available every single night. And I've, through the course of a 162-game regular season, it's a little bit different. Um, so maybe the addition with Harris, Doolittle, obviously there are other names we're not mentioning right now in the bullpen, he won't be required to do as much. Uh, and also the key is probably a healthy Doolittle, you know, as if he can play throughout the course of the season and not spend so much time on the IL. That's basically why they had to go get Daniel Hudson because Doolittle was not healthy and they needed someone to fill that closer role. Um, 
And so with with coupled with that, Daniel Hudson might not be asked to do as much as he maybe has done in the past, which led to some shaky numbers and some injuries. Um, and then that kind of and we've talked about this too before when when usually during the trade deadline, um, when the Nationals add to their bullpen, but like it kind of divvies out innings and outs. So no one's getting too too much work done, overworked, and and they stay fresh throughout the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, it, and it it just having more options. Yeah, it gives Davy Martinez. I mean, how many times did we see last year? Davy Martinez just did not have anybody to put in the game. Yeah, there was nobody he could trust. And this way, you know, uh, assuming they stay healthy, you have three guys that, in theory, you could use in the seventh, eighth, or ninth innings. I know that Hudson. And Harris throughout their careers have not been closers, but we've seen them, uh, you know, the ability if they need to be. We saw it certainly from Daniel Hudson in the playoffs that he can be used um, in that role down the stretch. And, I mean, the these, if one of these guys goes down, because all three of these guys are veterans, you also have the option to back them up with the other two. So they have, any anytime you have more options like that, you are in a better place um, than you were, and especially now that they have a setup man for that eighth inning, if the, if that is how they intend to go forward with Doolittle in the ninth and Harris in the eighth, we saw Daniel Hudson being used as the fireman last year, right. and in the playoffs it came up huge. So, you know, if, if that that frees up Hudson to be used in those spot situations to put out fires to come in with a bases loaded situation and get out of a jam, and you still have Hunter Strickland available, you would hope that Tanner Rainey continues his progression upwards his trend moving and getting better from his first year um in, in the major leagues so there are other options too not to, i mean i know we're just focusing on these three right now specifically harrison hudson because of the news over the past week but there are other options throughout the bullpen it's not like every single night it's going to be max strauss or corbin on ball whoever the fifth order is getting seven and then you dish it off to or, yeah. or six, and they off to Harris, uh, Hudson, Doolittle. So there's other ways, there's other people to for David Martinez to distribute innings and outs. Um, the three batter minimum, again, might cause a little more confusion. Not confusion, but some some obstacles to overcome. Cause you, Definitely confusion yeah, for you, me. <laughs> well, you probably can't. I mean, there's no matchup. You don't have to work matchups anymore, but, I mean, that may not be a good thing because right. then if you're going to pitch Hunter Strickland, you're going to have to get three yeah. batters out or get some, or he's going to have to face three guys, and that might not well and not not to go too far down tangent but i've just been reading about it and it's going to throw a whole lot of confusion into things oh, because yeah. because the, they have to face three batters unless they get out of the inning so managers have to think all right what's the chance that he gets if there are two outs in an inning that he gets this guy out and then the next two yeah because it, you know they might bank on getting the next guy out and then getting out of the inning and they take him out oh, okay so but if they you know say you throw hudson to put out a fire and he, they, you want him to get the third out of an inning, and he gets that, you can pull him. Right. But if he doesn't get that first batter, he has to face another batter. And if he doesn't get that batter, right. he has to face another batter. It's right. going to be incredibly confusing. Gotcha. And frankly, I don't think the rule makes much sense. But, you know, it's going to having as many relievers as possible is going to help, especially with this rule being in place. Well, then also to not go even further down tangent, but... With a 26-man roster now, you can maybe add an extra arm. I mean, it will be interesting to see how the Nationals, we have a long way to go before that. That'll be a spring training debate for sure. But how they use that extra man, is that an extra bench player? Is that an extra arm? I would guess extra arm considering how bad the bullpen has been like consistently over the past couple of years. So you might as well carry an extra arm for emergency purposes. Um, and then you also have such a 
in-depth infield now at this point. Your outfield should be good. You'll carry a fourth outfielder. Hopefully, you won't need that extra benchman. You can use that position for right. a bullpen. Well, that's a conversation for another day. Let's get into then the infield because they did add three infielders. Uh, <laughs> and, and Eric Thames at first base. That's your power left-handed bat that he'll be taking the Matt Adams role. Um, Asdrubal Cabrera coming back. Where will he start? He could fill in at third base. He could fill in at short. That's Trey Turner's spot. God forbid Trey Turner goes down for anything again this year. Or at second, you would figure that's where Harry Kendrick's going to start. And then Starling Castro, too, who is probably going to be a second baseman, maybe third baseman, emergency shorts. I mean, there's they've got players to fill holes. It's just a matter of, you know, where do they start with that? Because they haven't landed that big name. We will obviously touch on Josh Donaldson in a little bit, but... It's 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 a good problem to have that they have a lot of guys to back up these positions, but you know you have too many people to fill limited amount of spots. Who's going to get the right number of at bats? You got you have to give out at bats too, right? Yeah, I mean Davey Martinez. It's a good problem to have, right? But he's he's got a problem in terms of in spring training and the first month of the season might be a a, a test and see kind of what happens with the, where he puts certain guys. I mean, um, you know, we saw him kind of go through that a little bit last year. There weren't nearly as many changes, but, you know, he tinkered with the idea of, you know, he initially had Brian Dozier at second, then Dozier was slumping at the plate. So, you know, you had Howie Kendrick and he, he was able to fill at second, then Trey Turner went down. So you put him at short. So there were all different kinds of machinations of the infield that Davey Martinez could go through. And he's going to have another problem with that this year. Um, especially when you consider the Carter Keboom problem, because, right. um, you know, we don't know. The, the organization has a better idea of what Carter Keboom is at this point than we do. We got a very little, limited sample size of Carter Keboom in the big leagues last year. The bat wasn't there. The defense was fine at shortstop when he filled in for Trey Turner. But we've heard questions about his defense in the past. So does the organization view him as a second baseman? Do they think that he could eventually be a third baseman? Uh, Mark Zuckerman on MassinSports.com the other day was saying, is he even good enough to be an infielder um, for the long term as a defensive player? So that is another whole question. You know, could they keep him down in the minors for another year and figure out where his best defensive position is in the future? So there are going to be a lot of, and not all of the chips have fallen, i.e. Donaldson. Right. Um, but assuming at this point that this is the group that they have, there are several different ways that Davey Martinez can construct his infield. And that doesn't even get into the lineup. Right. And in terms of Keyboom, there's a, again, influx of infielders. So there might not be a spot for him. Yeah. So out, unless he comes out and has an unreal spring training, like he just made so many improvements from his time at AAA last year. He obviously, he hit 300 with a 900 OPS um, at Fresno last season. So, and if he builds off that, comes in and just has a ridiculous, you know, he has to, make it so the Nationals can't afford to keep him off the major league roster. You know, if anything short of that, we'll see him at Fresno. He'll continue to dominate AAA uh, pitchers, hopefully improving. That comes into the question of, okay, are you going to be a second baseman or a third baseman? Because we were covered at short with Trey Turner, even though short is Keeboom's first position, primary position. Um, but then you look at guys like, take Keeboom and Turner aside, Howie Kendrick is 36. If they bring Ryan Zimmerman back, he's 35. Eric Thames is 33, I believe. Uh, Estrubo Cabrera is 33. Um, and uh, Castro's 30. So these guys are, you know, on the wrong side of 30. Turner and Keeboom are the only, quote-unquote, young options. 
realistically, uh, that could play in the major leagues. The future, while they're set probably for this season, ideally, um, even without Donaldson, what does the down the road look like? I mean, I think at this point, because 2020 should be covered in terms of the infield, you might just say, all right, keep him. You'll, you'll be here and he'll be up here eventually at some point this season. And that's just the way it goes. But is that going to be because he forces his way on the roster or is it because out of necessity or September call-up? Um, and I would think they would prefer that the Major League roster, the way they have it constructed now, keeps Kibum at AAA and he keeps building for the future uh, and then becomes a full-time guy when these guys have kind of moved on. And we know Mike Rizzo doesn't like to bring guys up unless they're going to be you know, top prospects up unless they're going to be everyday big leaguers. Right. Unless they already have a spot designated in the lineup for them. He wants them to get everyday at-bats. He thinks that that helps their development. So the interesting part about these three deals, I mean, Cabrera was one year, $2.5 million. I mean, that to me, that makes total sense. Thames was one year, $4 million. Um, essentially salary of $3 million with a buyout option of $1 million and a team option of $4 million for 2021. So it's either going to be $4 million if he plays just one year or $7 million if he plays two years for the Nats. So those deals made total sense. The one interesting thing, I think, because we, we talked about with Brian Dozier a year ago when he signed his one-year $9 million deal was this is a stopgap. Yeah. This guy is a stopgap. Two years is a little bit longer than one year. Yeah. And, you know, if if Castro or Dozier had signed a one-year deal with the Nats, I think we would have a clear, clearer idea of, all right, that is going to be in one year, that is going to be Carter Keebum's spot. But with a two-year deal, um, you know, it, it just clouds things a little bit more. And they, they could have the option if... You know, they have Cabrera at third this year, Castro at second. Maybe in 2021, they move Castro to third. They bring Kibum up at second. There are just all kinds of, of ways that or they could go with this. And the, I don't want to look too far down the yeah, road. No. But, but it, the, the length of Castro's deal kind of makes things interesting. Yeah, true. And so it makes, like I said, it makes sense for this season, like 2020. They could enter spring training today, and we could probably say this is a, this is a, playoff caliber roster they this team could probably make the playoffs whether that be winning the division or another wild card berth um obviously the addition of josh donaldson makes them maybe even more of a contender in terms of winning the world series so they're set for 2020 i think now what the your question is how okay how about 2021 2022 right. what's the long-term plan for carter key boom and this infield because like you mentioned all these ages, the the short term deal, cash was a little longer. How does he fit in all this? I, I wonder what when Mike Rizzo looks into his crystal ball, what is he envisioning? Um, is also the two year deal is that maybe a stopgap for possibly Luis Garcia and, and Carter Keboom? We could maybe see on the way out if if they need to make a trade, if they want to make that big splash at third base, and they don't want to pay Josh Donaldson, are they in on Nolan Arenado? Are they in on Chris Bryant? And Keebum's a part of that package to be shipped out. I don't know. I'm not saying it is, but you're right. I think the terms of these deals for these other players makes Keebum's future with the team a little murkier. So I guess the question now is, with all of the additions that they have made, and for the sake of argument right now, let's assume that they don't get Donaldson. Yeah. Because if they had to, if they were to sign Donaldson, they almost certainly would go into the luxury tax. We don't know entirely what their opinion is on that, but odds are they they don't want to go into that. So let's assume they don't have him. You have Isdrubal Cabrera, who can play first, he can play second, he can play third, he can even play shortstop if need be. You have Howie Kendrick, who can play all over the diamond, but is up there in years. 
You have Starlin Castro, who's primarily a second baseman, can play third if need be. Um, and now you have Eric Thames, who is definitely a first baseman, and you probably have, you know, Ryan Zimmerman back in the fold, almost definitely at first base. What what does your starting infield look like? <sighs> well, it's a... Uh... Would help if they had a DH. Well, you know, uh, yeah, that's true, but they don't. We know for we know the one set in stone is Trey Turner at shortstop. Mm-hmm. That's one out of four. Um, I would say, I, you know, I don't think Howie Kendrick is going to re- exactly repeat what he did last season at the plate, but you would think it would be serviceable and kind of close. So I would say you, I would say you put Howie Kendrick at second and you put Thames at first. Uh, or, you know, between Thames and Zimmerman, you know, battle it out, whoever's going to be your starting. Right now, since Zimmerman's not yeah. on the roster, I'm going to sl- slot Eric Thames there sure. um, at first. And then I think Cabrera is your third baseman at this point. So you think Castro comes off the bench? Yeah, I think he's your guy off the bench. Do um, you think he give and occasionally he, gives Kendrick a rest a at breather. second? Yep, uh, I think he fits better at second. And I think, I know he he's up there, again, he's 30. He doesn't have the speed he was once had or once projected to have throughout his career, but he could be a pinch runner option, pinch hit option um, to, you know, maybe spark a rally or something like that. I think he, but then Asdrubal is a switch hitter too, so that he's very serviceable in that role as well. Um, Yeah, I think I'm going Thames, Kendrick, Turner, Asdrubal Cabrera um, across the diamond. That's interesting because, I mean, at this point last year, we were saying it was Zimmerman, Dozier is your starting second baseman, yep. Turner, Rendon. And the way that Kendrick played, um, and especially the way that, that Dozier played, but Kendrick, you couldn't keep him out of the lineup. Right. You know, he forced Davey Martinez's hand to play him every day because he was hitting 330 the entire season. Yeah. Because he was he was still incredibly productive at the plate. We've talked about on this podcast, he's 35, 36. Mm-hmm. You know, if he has a little bit of a, a, a drop or a massive drop offensively, you know, is Starling Castro going to force Davey Martinez's hand and say, all right, we can't keep Castro out of the lineup because of, uh, you know, because of Howie Kendrick is slumping and Castro's playing better. So I, I, it's interesting, but I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, I think Kendrick gets the benefit of the doubt for right now at second base. Um, but I also think Castro is a, is a, um, candidate to start at third over Cabrera. Yeah. I mean, he, he certainly got a bigger deal than Cabrera. Yeah, and I think the ideally, in terms of Howie Kendrick, he might get. Uh, they're going to be careful with him. I'm going to say he's going to get four starts a week. You know, he's not going to play every day. They 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 get what one off day a week probably on average. So they'll play six games a week. Uh, I would say Howie Kendrick starts four of those. Um, just for comparison's sake, since you brought it up. Baseballreference.com has, you know, projections for the upcoming season for teams. So, mm-hmm. Harry Kendrick, they project to get uh, 400, just over 400 plate appearances. He will three, hit 302, which is kind of on par with what he did last year. Not as high because he hit 344. Yeah. But that's still a very solid uh, average that you'll definitely take from your first baseman, second baseman, whatever it may be. 15 home runs, 53 RBIs, uh, a little lower than he did. Castro... They project to get more plate appearances, 600, um, and then but only hit 274, 18 home runs, 70 RBIs. That might be more of a you know kind of spreading it out because they're projecting Castro to play more and Howie Kendrick to be rested more. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I think Howie Kendrick sometimes forces you not to play. 
to put him in the lineup, but it's going to be the same kind of balance that they did last year where they, you also have to rest him. So they're probably going to be looking at, if I, I, I'm guessing in uh, uh, David Martinez's ideal world, he's playing Howie Kendrick four, maybe five times a week. So between third base and second base, let's say you play six games a week, that's 12 starts that is available for three players. Mm-hmm. He said Howie Kendrick takes four of those, so now you've got eight. Do you split it up evenly? Do you go four starts a week for Starlin Castro, four starts a week for Drupal Cabrera, and four starts a week for Howie Kendrick? Well, it also depends where you need Cabrera. Because is Cabrera playing third? That's the thing. I mean, could you, you know, if you, you might have to split those 12 between two players, and that increases Howie Kendrick's workload. Well, I think, I think. Kendrick, yeah, that's that's the thing is 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 Cabrera. I think Cabrera is the most versatile. Cabrera and Castro are versatile. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think Howie is slightly less versatile. He's gonna be second or first. But there is a way in which if you he did play to, ten games at third last year, though. Yeah, he but he, he does fill in. He should not do that. Yeah. So there is a way in if he wanted to, Davy Martinez could just split it up evenly. Each guy gets four starts a week. They get two starts a second, two starts at third, if he wanted to. Yeah. But it might not entirely be that. Well, this brings the Ryan Zimmerman question. If they bring back Ryan Zimmerman, and I don't know why it's taking so long, we thought this was a sure thing. But the longer it takes, the more it seems like they're comfortable with Howie Kendrick and Eric Thames being their first baseman. And then maybe that removes Howie Kendrick from second base altogether. Right. And you're just splitting. And then you got Castro at second, and you got Estrella Cabrera at third, assuming they don't add anybody else. Well, yeah, and then if they all right, I if mean, there's just so many like different yeah. like tangents we can go on. Well, and so I many think, what ifs, and I think real quick with Zimmerman, I mean, I think if this were just a business decision, if this were just a a numbers game, I don't think he would bring back Ryan Zimmerman. No, I mean, and, he, and Nats fans, of course, will bristle at that, but I mean, that's just the way it is, though. But but that's the thing, though. It's not just the business. You know, it, it is yeah. Ryan Zimmerman. Is the franchise's first draft pick he is mr national mr walkoff you know if this if he were more like a matt adams where he came along like five years ago as a free agent and or or maybe even a jason worth i mean you can compare those two because jason worth obviously a fan favorite huge for the franchise in terms of turning them into a competitor into a winning culture but once it came down to it he wasn't serviceable enough they just kind of had to let him go yeah much to fans dismay but that's just the way it goes ryan zerman's a slightly different case because he has been here since 2006 so um yeah i I think you're right if this was just a straight business decision thank you for your time we really appreciate we will retire your number whenever you retire um but uh you know good luck in the future but it's just not that case and i i wonder why it's taking so long maybe it's kind of balancing you know, I'm not I, saying this. I have no information on this, but I would maybe think you know it's kind of an ownership thing. Maybe they feel like they owe it to him to keep him. And we know that Ryan Zimmer wants to come back. He has said it yeah. ad nauseum over this this off season. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting point. And with any without any you know inside baseball information here, right. I would tend to agree with you. I think just speculation wise, I think they want to bring him back. I think the reason it's probably taking so long is. For the same reason, I, you know, I use this as a, a partly as a joke, but I think that, you know, Mark Lerner gave Mike Rizzo a budget, said, "All right, maybe we don't want to go over the luxury tax." So um, Rizzo said, "Okay, we won't sign Donaldson. We'll fill these holes elsewhere." But they want to see exactly how close they can get to the luxury tax. So I think because they already know that they have Zimmerman in the bag, 
They don't want to, you know, he's either playing, returning to the Nats or he's retiring. They right. want to see exactly how much money they're going to have left over before they get to the luxury tax and say, whatever's left after we fill out the rest of the roster, that's yours, Ryan. So if it's $8 million, if it's $10 million, if it's $4 million, you know, you get you get the rest of it or you might have to retire at this point. Right, so you're basically saying you're waiting, they're waiting for the Donaldson chip to fall. I think so. Or or if you know, or if there's another move out there. Well, I think to. the Donaldson chip is the first to fall and then that yes, opens yeah, up yeah. for I want to Chris Bryan, I think trading they, for Brian or yeah. Arenado. I think they want to fill out their entire uh, budget and then they just have a little exception of whatever is left Ryan Zimmerman gets. Cuz uh, Chris Bryan is still on his rookie deal, right? He's still through arbitration. Yes. I think two more years of control of arbitration. So that would be theoretically the cheapest obviously you have to trade for him, you have to give something up for him, but money-wise that would be the cheapest option. Arenado, of course, signed that huge contract last offseason right before or right before, or during spring training. Um, so he has a price tag attached to him if you were to trade for him. And then, of course, Josh Donaldson's asking for $110 million over four years. So, yeah, I, that's a, a very good point and observation. I think that could yeah. possibly be it. See how close they can push it by making this another big splash, particularly at third base, um, but, and then filling yeah. out the rest with Zimmerman because they've said, hey, just be patient. We're right. trying to see how this falls or works out, yeah. and then we'll work it out with you. Because if they had signed Zimmerman in December to, say, $10 million, right. and they didn't want to go over the luxury tax, and they get close with Donaldson, yeah, or, yeah. you know, and they're, you know, he's like, well, I want five more. And, and they they're can't. like, ah, they can't because they already paid that to Zimmerman. That wouldn't be their best option. Right. So Because they know they have him in the bag. They know, yeah, so they don't want to be handcuffed by him. Exactly. Right, okay. That, that, that actually makes total sense. I could totally see that being the case. Right. So Donaldson still has all the power. Yeah. Speaking of Donaldson, let's just go through the numbers real quick. I thought this was interesting, um, just adding up. So the Nationals are basically, if you look at the contracts of the five players we just discussed, they're basically spending about $26 million for those five players for just 2020, for just this, just this season. Josh Donaldson is reportedly asking for $110 million over four years. That's about $27.5 million per season. So they're already getting good value in terms of spending slightly less for five more players and adding at different areas of the diamond in terms of relief pitching and then utility infielders. Um, and then if you add it up even more, the total uh, number of the contracts that the Nationals just added uh, between Harris, Hudson, I can do this, Castro, Cabrera, and Thames, mm-hmm. you know it, is about $57 million for potentially, there are a couple options in there, potentially 10 years of service across five players. So you're basically going to be paying half for more than double the amount of service time that you would be if you go after Josh Donaldson, $110 million. Yeah. For four years, which is which is crazy to I me. Mean, to me, that's just a financial no brainer. Like like you said, you've said a couple of times where the learners possibly could have just given Mike Rizzo a budget and he's just working it out. That's why we've seen this flurry of roster moves over the past week, and he's not waiting for Donaldson to make his decision. But I mean, that's just you get five players for less than the price of one. I mean, that yeah. is just good business anywhere you go. Exactly, and that's. That's how you have to look at it at some point. I know I know it's a human business and you have to, you know, w- it, when you think of like Rendon and, you know, they're they're getting a lot less value in a, in a Struble Cabrera and a Starling Castro, but they're a lot cheaper. And it, at some point you just, it, when it is that massive of a difference yeah. of whether we pay $245 million or in the case of Josh Donaldson, $110 million for one player, as opposed to we get a little we, we're acknowledging we're going for less production but you know we're getting more guys 
and um, and for a lot cheaper, sometimes you have to go with that. Yeah. You just have to make that money-wise decision. And if there is one team, I think with, with all of this, and I don't think that Rizzo, especially the way he built his bullpen last year, is above reproach by any standpoint, um, you know, at any standpoint, but there's one team that you can give the benefit of the doubt for going for making a smart decision on free agency. It's the world champion Washington Nationals, and it's the executive of the year, Mike Rizzo. Yeah, um, not like he is infallible and he's going to make wrong moves, but you know, if if they don't sign Josh Donaldson, if he goes to the Braves, you just have to give Rizzo the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, at, at some point, and if it blows up in his face, we'll criticize him. But <laughs> you have to give him at this point the benefit of the doubt because we saw that he can build a World Series championship team and he can become the executive of the year given a budget. Well, even, yeah, and let's say that Josh Donaldson goes back to the Braves for four million, no, sorry, four years, 110 million. Like I said earlier, I think the way the roster is constructed as of this moment that with all the moves he just added over the past week that this team can still compete and they can go toe-to-toe with the Braves. I mean, that's great. Josh Donaldson is a former MVP, all-star caliber player. You know, he's going to hit 35 home runs. 100 RBIs, that's fantastic. But they've had, they have basically that equivalent divvied out across their diamond um, with these additions. So it's not like if they miss out on Josh Donaldson or Brian or Arenado that they're going to be completely out of it. Right. I think this team can still compete and, and be toe to toe with the Braves. The Braves, I'm sure, will probably be the favorites in the NL East again with the addition of Donaldson. I think anyone who lands Donaldson in the NL East becomes the favorite because we know, we know the Braves and Nationals are right there. We know the Phillies and the Mets are creeping up, adding a bat like that. Not, I'm not saying the Phillies or the Braves are, are Phillies or the Mets are like looking for Donaldson, but you know my point. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think Mike Rizzo's worried about this season right now. Obviously, adding Josh Donaldson at a reasonable price is at a, perfect, a great situation to be in, but it's not necessary at this point. So you're right. I don't think he's. I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt if the if the price tag remains too high. And then we could be sitting here in July and looking at you know, possibly the nationals in first place and be like, Hey, we're getting more production out across our, our infield with all these players we have basically yeah. the same that you're paying 110 million or 26, 27 yeah. and a half million to one player this season. And remember, yeah, you talk about the future. Donaldson's 33. He wants a four year deal reportedly. It would take him up until his 37 season. By that point, four years down the line, the Nationals are going to want to be paying Juan Soto. They're going to want to be paying Trey Turner. They're going to want to be paying Victor Robles a lot more than what they are currently getting. Yeah. So they have guys. The primes of their careers, yeah. whereas Donaldson will be on the back end. They got to look after their their own guys True. Um, before they get into that. And, you know, them, they, even if they don't get Donaldson, I mean, the, the, you know, they have gone, they would have had a cheaper route in terms of the way that they've built their bullpen, but they have not had a cheap offseason. They spent $245 million on Steven Strasburg. Um, they spent $24 million on a, a reliever. So they have they have opened the checkbook. They it, it just might not be within their full budget to spend $110 million on another player, but I wouldn't call it cheap if they don't end up signing Donaldson. Real quick, before we get out of here, I want to give a shout-out to Barrett McLeod, who is commenting along on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page, and he asked, who hits third? Yeah, um, that's the other question. It's the lineup. <laughs> we kind of mentioned, we briefly touched on it, like David Martinez would have lineup construction, not issues, but difficulties, because he has so many bats to give out. In the lineup, and the way I laid out the infield, I, 
I would probably say Juan Soto hits third. He doesn't have the protection of Anthony Rendon anymore, but you would have to just kind of rely on Eaton and Turner getting on base ahead of him, and then now he's your, not cleanup because he's not hitting fourth, but basically big bat in the third, taking over that Anthony Rendon spot. So who would you hit cleanup? Kendrick? You might have to. Kendrick or or Thames. Kendrick or Thames, depending on who's playing that day. Right. And then you'll go probably, am I guessing my Cabrera? Because he's a switch hitter, so he could, you know, keep going right, left, right, left, right, left, based on Kendrick or right or um, or Thames at that position, and then probably catcher, Robles pitcher or pitcher Robles, probably at that point. Yeah, um, but it's so mine's Juan Soto. Yeah, at third, hitting third, and the the thing in my mind I'm thinking about is well, if you had you know what if on a day you had if you do bring Zim back. You had Zim in the lineup instead of Thames. Would they put, you know, would they have Castro in the lineup instead of Kendrick? Yeah. So then you don't have the power. So that's it, you know. So then who could you even hit cleanup? So you're basically pairing Kendrick and Thames and then Castro and Zimmerman. Like those are those are like I your, think I think you might have to platoons. to give you more power, right? Because Castro doesn't bring a whole lot of power, right? So you need to add Zimmerman, right? In order to have a bona fide cleanup hitter, right, and Thames will be the only left-handed hitter of that, of those four. So you can't really mix and match there that right. way. Uh, yeah, a I lot can, of. Can but the other thing too is in terms of this. And now here, we're, here it is, here's another tangent we're going on. But last year with Anthony Rendon hitting third, you could lead off Trey Turner, then Adam Eaton, then Rendon Soto. That let uh, that's lefty. Wait, yeah. No, righty, lefty, righty, lefty. It'll yeah. be the opposite this year if you're batting Soto third. It'll be lefty, righty, lefty, righty. So you have, would David Martinez then lead off Adam Eaton and then bat Trey Turner second? I think you could. I think you, you know, I think. I mean, Trey, he's done it before, obviously, yeah. but yeah. Trey Turner was so good in that spot last he season. Was. Yeah. How do you bump him down? Right, exactly. I think it, it would be tough because he was so great in that spot, but I think you might have to have faith that they he's going to hit wherever they would figure it, it out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's again good problems to have because he's got more. You know, so many managers right now are like, how can I fit or how can I have enough guys on this roster? I, I only have like six good hitters. Yeah, here they have too many, and they have to find a a, a suitable lineup. But um, it's still going to be a lot of questions that Davy Martinez is going to have to ask. Yeah, and the, again, good problems to have. Good time to figure it out in spring training, and uh, we'll be covering the offseason and spring training the rest of the way. Just keeping our ear to the ground about Josh Donaldson or a possible trade, um, how the Nationals, or maybe they're done at the, at the hot corner, and yeah. this is just how they're going to go with it. But wherever it may be, we'll be there discussing it, following along, please. Um, we thank you all to who followed along live on Facebook and on Twitter. We loved um, uh, reading your questions and seeing the comments. Um, so thanks again for that. If you missed the podcast live on Facebook or Twitter, you go back and you can uh, listen to it on Apple Podcasts, now Google Podcasts, I believe how they're calling it now, Spotify it and Google SoundCloud. Play? I think it has been Google Podcasts for Rose. I just okay. realized that the other day. But Google Podcasts um, will also be uh, replaying this episode live or streaming it live on, um, quote-unquote live, on the Mass Nationals YouTube account later today. So you can watch it again if you missed there. At Paul Mancano on Twitter for Paul. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Give us a tweet. Give us a shout-out. Uh, if you have any comments about how the Nationals should address the hot corner or how they should 
stack this lineup the way the roster is constructed right now. Uh, big shout out to Marymount University for sponsoring the podcast. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. For Paul, I'm Bobby. We'll catch you guys next week.